Um, so I'm Josh. I'm Aaron's brother. Uh, my students call me Mr. Wine, uh, and it's weird for the people that are in the youth group that are also my students because they don't know what to call me. Um, I think the one who has the hardest time, yeah, Bella Boost knows what I'm talking about. Um, I think the one who has the hardest time is actually not in the youth yet, which is Caleb Key. Y'all know Caleb? Um, yeah. Oh, there's Caleb. Hi, yeah, he's, he's in the youth. Um, he's in the eighth grade. But Caleb has the hardest time because Caleb, I've known Caleb since he was, you know, tiny. And so Caleb's in my class now at the junior high. And every time Caleb sees me, he goes, hey, Josh. And the rest of the kids in my class go, <gasps> and I just have to explain to them. I was like, no, it's okay. Caleb and me, we're, we go back. We go back a ways, all right? So this morning, we're going to, I am, I, my, I am not a preacher by trade. I am a teacher by trade, so I feel very comfortable talking uh, in front of teenagers. It's adults who freak me out, to be honest with you. If I ever had to teach a Bible study for adults, I think I would be far more nervous. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit more. Uh, we're, we're, obviously, we're in the book of Matthew. We are knee-deep in the Sermon on the Mount. So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and get to Matthew chapter 6, that would be super helpful. My brother, when he approached me to teach this morning, uh, he was like, hey, hey, would you be comfortable filling in and teaching on a Sunday morning uh, in the youth? And I said, sure. I said, what am I teaching on? And he gave me an entirely too long passage to cover in a like 30, 45 minute thing. Because I, I, you know, one of the things is I actually do want to make sure that you have time to discuss this around your tables. There are no questions specifically that your table leaders have that they're going to have to go over with you. But everything that we're talking about today should spark some pretty good discussion. I love this passage in the, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6 because Unlike a lot of passages in Scripture that I've studied in the past, this one is not hard to understand at all. It is Jesus at his absolute best where he's just telling it straight like it is and giving people very clear instructions. He's not even speaking in metaphor. He's not even using, like, you know, allegory or telling stories to try to prove his point. He's just saying, this is what we need to do. Uh, and I love that kind of stuff because it means that I can just read and understand and meditate on what God has for us during this section. So uh, Aaron gave me this giant passage of scripture to cover, and I told him, I said, well, I'll do some of that, because I'm I, there's no way, because I'm already a talker. All I have to do is ask Bella. I mean, like, they barely get to play in band class. It's, it's just it's me talking. Um, so we're going to try to, we're going to cover a, a couple of things this morning that, one of which is really, really applicable to the life of youth-aged people, but there's two other ones that we really just don't talk about a whole lot with teenagers. And I think it's important that we cover them this morning because obviously it's what the Lord has for us here in Matthew chapter 6. Um, so in Matthew chapter 6, it's broken down into sections where he's talking about these parts of the Christian life that are really, really important for us to kind of have a grasp of how we approach these things. And um, for, for instance, the beginning of Matthew chapter 6 talks about giving to the needy. Uh, and then the section after that is, is talking about prayer. And then the section after that uh, is, is talking about fasting. Okay, I can't tell you, um, I can remember back to my days in youth group, and I can't remember a whole lot of sermons that my youth pastor did about fasting when I was, in the, when I was 14 and 15 years old. I just don't remember fasting being high on the priority list when I was 14. Um, I remember things about prayer. I remember hearing about that. And I also didn't hear a whole lot about giving to the poor when I was 14 years old because I didn't have any money. Like, I mean, I was like, 
I had like 10 bucks to my name. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, let's, let's give to charity. What am what I going to give them? Seven bucks? Like, I, I don't know, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand the priority there with, with being a teenager and, and giving to the poor. But we're going we're gonna to read through some of this kind of a section at a time and then kind of talk about, you know, what, how we can view this in light of our own lives. So let's, let's start. We're just going to read this first section to start off with, and we'll pray. We'll kind of get into things. So this is Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for your word that you have shown, that you have decided to reveal yourself to us through this and that we might learn more about you through the study of your word. We would just pray that you would just open our eyes to what you would have us to see in the scripture this morning. Pray that you would guide uh, my speech and that I would say the words that you have for me. Um, and Father, that we would reflect on how some of these patterns in our lives can apply to even our lives as teenagers, as students. We love you. We thank you for loving us first. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's a big question to start us off with. Why is Jesus focusing on these three things? Giving, prayer, fasting. Okay. Why did he circle in on, on these couple of things to, to really kind of hammer home with this group of people that have been gathered for him to give this sermon? And the answer to that is that if you were to walk up to one of the Pharisees, okay, these folks who have been constantly accusing Jesus, or questioning Jesus, or wondering about, is this Jesus a false teacher? Uh, is he here to usurp our power? Is he here to, to kind of mess up the dynamic that we've made? Jesus is addressing the parts of their lives that they consider to be the most important. There was nothing more important in the lives of a Pharisee than almsgiving is what they called it, giving to the poor, okay? Prayer, fasting, it was all these ritualistic things that they were doing. It was a part of them showing their righteousness, their holiness. And Jesus goes, yeah, I'm fixing to turn that all upside down because I'm, I'm going to help you to understand that you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. So essentially like the moral of today's, you know, the, the big motto of today's talk is that motivations matter. Your motives matter for why you do this stuff. Okay, if you have a quiet time that you do with God and that you're, you're, you're praying if you're doing that just so that you can check off some box on the good Christian list, we're missing the point. We're missing the point. Is it good to have a quiet time? Absolutely. Is it great to set aside time every single day, if possible, to sit down and be with the Lord and talk and to listen and to pray and to read the word? Absolutely it is. But our motivations matter. God cares about our heart in those situations. He doesn't just care about the action. Because we can go about all the actions and do it for completely the wrong reasons. So he's meeting the Pharisees and these people where they're at. Because when they see, when these people that Jesus is talking to, when they see people giving to the poor, they see people doing it very loudly. Doing it very like overtly in the streets. They're like throwing money to these, you know, to these folks that are begging for, for money on the side of the street. And they're doing it all for their own glory. They're doing it so they can be seen doing it. Interestingly enough, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. We don't really talk about this a whole lot, but 
it mentions in Scripture that Jesus and the disciples, they had a money bag. They had money. Now, they, weren't, they didn't have a lot of money. But through their followers, they kept a money bag. Um, and that was for things like buying food, um, you know, uh, buying shelter for a night or something like that. And they also used it to give to the poor. They did. And does anybody know who was in charge of keeping the money bag? Anybody know? Judas, yeah, probably not the best person to put in that situation. In hindsight, is twenty twenty. We look back and we go, Judas might not have been the dude uh, to, to do, but you know, it was all in God's plan that had to happen so that everything would happen the way that it needed to. Um, but yeah, they did carry a money bag around with them, and and Jesus was modeling this for the disciples to give to the poor, to take care of those who were less fortunate. But if we look at the Pharisees and the Jews during this time, their view of giving to the poor was very different. And in some ways, very much the same as what we experience today. Uh, in Jewish culture during that time, it was, it was viewed by a lot of Jews during that time that if you gave to the poor, you were kind of gaining brownie points with God. Like you were, it, it, you were literally, like there's literally like Jewish customs during this time. It says, according to Second Temple Ju- uh, Judaism, giving to the poor was to atone, like to help atone for sin. And this is, this is very like wacky theology here. Because we know that the amount of money that you give to something is not cleansing us of sin in any way. Uh, but when Jesus taught that only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. You remember that story where he says it's hard for rich people because they have this love of money. They have something they're holding on to. Do you remember the, the illustration he uses? It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it would be for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That was shocking for people. It was shocking for the disciples when he said that. Okay, here's why. Because the disciples probably would have been thinking in their mind, it was easy for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because such a man could easily buy his way in by giving to the poor and doing great deeds. And Jesus was like, no, that's not, that, that's not what this is about. Because if you want to have everything, you have to give everything. So Jesus is kind of turning their whole idea of giving kind of on its head. And, and one of the ways that he does this is a really absurd illustration. Anybody remember this from when we just read this little passage in beginning of Matthew 6? He says, uh, it says in verse 3, But when you give to the needy, first of all, let's stop, because we're going to come back to this word that comes up in this passage a whole lot. But when you give to the needy, his assumption is, if you're a follower of me, you are giving to the needy. You are giving of what you have. It's not if. It's when, okay? So when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's kind of an absurd illustration, yes? It actually stops you because you're kind of like, wait, how does that work? How does that work? Okay, anybody in here who has any sort of a, a skill that they've developed? We've got some athletes in here, okay? Could you imagine how much it would stifle your athletic ability if every time you caught a baseball, you had to stop and think about what you were gonna do next? Okay, it's one of the things that we're learning right now. Our boys are in T-ball for the first time. If you want to see something real funny, go to a five-year-old T-ball game. Because they barely, like, they, they trap the ball, and then there's this moment where nobody knows what's supposed to happen next. Nobody knows. That's why I like watching, like, adult baseball is, is that, like, have y'all ever seen, like, a catcher catch one at home plate and throw it before you can even, like, blink your eyes? Yeah. That's because they've thousands and millions of times they've trained their body that as soon as that ball hits the glove, they're already in motion to send it where it needs to go next. But our boys are not trained in that way. Their muscles have not been conditioned. So they get that ball in their hands and they're like, I got it. 
Meanwhile, there's people running around the bases. <laughs> and then suddenly they go, oh, and then they don't know what to do because they're five. They haven't learned how to throw the ball anywhere other than like six feet away from them yet. So then they just start running in whatever direction they're supposed to go in. It's hilarious. But anybody who's developed some sort of a skill knows that when you develop these sorts of skills, you start to learn to do things without even thinking. I'll bring it back to what I do for a living. Musicians, okay, people who learn to play an instrument, okay? If I had to sit down every time I play my trumpet in church and think about every single note that I was going to play, we wouldn't get through a song. Okay, I got to press this button down and I have to blow air to make this note come out. That would be a rather painful intellectual process, would it not? And the music probably wouldn't sound very good either. No, I've gotten to the point over the years where I'm not even thinking about the mechanics of what I'm doing. I'm thinking about the information I'm reading and I'm sending it out. What Jesus is trying to say here is this, that we should develop the skill of giving to be so automatic in our lives that we're not even thinking about whether we're going to give. It's just, where's the opportunity to do so? And we're not doing it in a way where everybody sees us doing this. We're not giving so that we can get our name on the side of a building. We're not giving so that somebody will give us an award or a plaque on our wall. We're giving because it's what followers of Christ do. We take care of others. We take care of people who are less fortunate. And so when he says, he's trying to, to amplify this idea of giving in secret by saying, it should be so secret that you barely notice that you're giving. That you're not even feeling like you're, you're not even, it's not even conscious to you as to whether or not you should give. It's like, oh yeah, we got to give. It's what we do. It's part of our, it's part of the weekly rhythms of our lives. Okay. It's one of the things I'm really thankful for in my family. She probably doesn't even know that I've noticed this, but my, my wife, when we've been in church on Sunday evenings, has been starting teaching the boys how to put offerings in the offering plate because they're having to sit in church with us now because they're old enough to do that. And even if it's a dollar that we put in the, in the offering plate, first of all, a dollar is a lot of money for a five-year-old. That, that can buy a lot at the Dollar Tree, anything you want. But the idea is not that we're showing them that they should put money in the offering plate so that people will notice that they're putting money in the offering plate. We're showing them that so that that gets built into the rhythms of our lives. In the same way that we use language in our house that's helping to point them towards Jesus. Hopefully, that's what we're trying to do. So that when my sons grow up and when my daughters grow up, they know what the word salvation means. They know what the word sin means. And that they're not afraid of these words because we've been talking about it with them since they were in kindergarten or in preschool. We want to develop those rhythms in their lives. And so, and, and, and because of that, even in our lives as young people, you might not have $10 to your name. I, sure, I surely did not when I was 14 or 15 years old. I was constantly going, Mom, I need $5 to go to this thing. That was my whole life, okay? And, and sometimes it was yes. Most of the time it was yes. It was Aaron that she told no to. He's smarter. I'm the favorite. Um, so anyway, Haley is shaking her head. She knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. Um, but we want to give. We want to give. We want to try to build that rhythm into our lives. Now, the next section in Matthew's, in this story of the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes into a pretty lengthy little section here talking about prayer. We're actually going to skip that for a second. We're going to loop back to it at the end of this. I want to go one more section down, though, verse 16, where it talks about fasting. This is probably the one that we know the least about, by the way. I know that when I was in like 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and you would ask me, hey, what's your, what's your, uh, what's your philosophy about fasting? 
I'd just be like, is that when you don't eat? What is that? Why, do you, why, would, you do, why would you do that? Why? It's really interesting what Jesus has to say here. So let's look at verse 16, down, um, down a little bit further down the page, because we're going to loop back and talk about prayer in just a second. It says, when you, and when you fast, please notice the word when, again, and when you fast. His assumption is, my followers are going to fast. It's not an if, it's a when. But that's interesting, though, because we're going to talk about that in just a second. It says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. First of all, let's talk about this word hypocrites. We've now seen this twice in the Sermon on the Mount, hypocrites. Okay, we use that word a little bit differently than they would have in the ancient world, okay? So hypocrites, we would think of, like, the definition is, like, somebody who says they're, like, who, like, calls out something, but secretly they're doing it too. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're on your phone too much. Like, if I, got on, if I ever got on my kids for, like, playing on a little iPad too much, but then I can't get off my cell phone. Hypocritical behavior, Correct. Okay, but a lot of people don't know where the word hypocrite comes from. That's actually pretty close to the original word in the ancient language, hypocrite. And it literally means a stage actor, like somebody who plays a part. And especially someone who does so in a very public way. So like Jesus is speaking very literally here. He's like, he's like there are people standing out in the square outside the temple. And they are standing out there holding their stomachs and wrenching their faces. And they're showing the crowd that they're fasting and that they're suffering for the Lord. Because they want to be noticed. They want people to go, oh my gosh, how holy these Pharisees are that they are, that they are denying themselves food and water. Look at how, much, how in pain that they are. And they're making it all about them. And Jesus is not down for that. He's like, I'm, I'm not about that. I'm not here for it. Okay? We don't want to fast in this way. In fact, Jesus says, when you do fast, and we'll talk about why we do this in just a second and why it's a command for us, but when we do fast, if we, if we do say, okay, today I'm not going to fast today, I'm not going to eat, or I'm, not, you know, I'm, I'm only going to drink water or something like that, he says, you should take even better care of yourself so that no one notices. You should behave as though everything's great because the only person that matters in that knowledge of that fast is God. He sees your heart. He knows what you're trying to do. And so what's interesting is this, is way back in, in, in the times of the early, uh, like the, in the Jewish like, tradition, there was only really one time where the Jews were really called upon to fast every single year. Does anybody know where that was? David, I love that. I knew it was going to be one of them. I knew it. I absolutely knew it. Great. Great tie, by the way. All right. The Day of Atonement, which we hear about in like the book of Leviticus, right? And the people would fast and they would pray, and it had to do with them taking care of their sins for that year. The priests would offer up offerings and it would be to atone for their sins. And the people were called upon to fast, which meant they weren't gonna eat, okay? But here's the, here's the deal. Since we have Jesus now, the day of atonement has been reconciled. We're not called to that anymore. Our, we have a mediator between God and man. We have the perfect sacrifice, the perfect offering lamb that has been offered, whose blood was shed to cover our sins, and so what's really interesting about this is you can look all through the New Testament. There is no longer a specific command in the early church to fast. There's no day. Like Jesus didn't say it. He's like, okay, now five days before Christmas, we're all going to fast. Like that's not a thing. You're not going to find it. 
All we know is that the day of atonement has been fulfilled. So really, it's, there's nothing here explicitly saying in the whole New Testament that we, that we got to fast at this time for this reason. But then we see Jesus saying, but when you fast, so there's this, there's this weird tension there. It's like, okay, but, but Jesus, when do we fast? For what reason do we fast? Okay. He says so a little bit later on in Matthew chapter 9. He says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. So the suggestion is, is that there are particular moments in our life where it might be appropriate for us to deny certain appetites in our life to increase our hunger and thirst for the Lord. And that might, we have to be careful in the way that we do that. But let's just talk about this for a second. Fasting is what we need sometimes. For in fasting, we essentially say, I do not live for my appetites, my physical appetites, my material appetites. Therefore, with self-control, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit, okay, not watermelon, self-control, okay, I'm going to stop all of this incessant nibbling, okay, at the table of the world, okay? So here's the, here's the issue. I, I've seen people do this really, really well, but they kind of missed the point in how they did this. So like, for instance, I'll tell you one example of what I did and how I completely messed it up. So last year, 2020, rough year. Yeah, tough. A lot of us were at home, all this kind of stuff. Very kind of depressing time for a lot of people. So last summer, I was getting ready to start uh, a new college degree, graduate degree, which I'm going to finish in December, hopefully, if I can get all my homework done. It's really tough. Um, but I, start, I was fixing to get ready to start a new degree. And I got to the end of the school year, and it was rough. Because the last nine weeks of the school year, I had to teach virtually. And I, I hate to break this to you, I did not sign up for that. Like, I did not get into education to be on a Zoom call with my people. I love them. That's just not me. Because I literally got into education so I wouldn't have to sit in an office all day. It's not the environment that this body was made for. Okay? So I was kind of a little down in the dumps. So during June, this is what I decided to do. And many people have done this. Josh Wine did not invent this concept. I decided that during the month of June, right after school year ended, I was going to not get on any electronic devices at all. Done. I was going to turn the internet off. I was going to delete every single social media app off my phone. I wasn't going to do it on the computer. I was going to, whatever. I was just going to be, unplug. Okay. And it was an incredibly productive June. I read seven books in one month. I'm not doing this to brag. I'm just saying, I have not seen productivity like this since June of 2020. And I learned so much. I increased in my relationship with the Lord because I had time to sit and talk with him. I spent more time with my family. It was a fantastic June. And then I messed it all up. And here's how. July 1st. I pop back on Facebook and tell everyone. I wrote a really long post telling everyone how much I had learned. And I was making it about me. I wasn't, it was a fast. I just needed a break is really what it was. I wasn't doing it to grow closer to the Lord. That was a positive byproduct of it, but that was not my intention going into it. I just needed to get away from screens. 
And so you see that motivation matters. Motivation matters. We don't do this stuff, okay? Is it a good idea to take a social media fast every once in a while? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic idea. Just don't tell anybody. My favorite is people who get on social media and go, I, for the next month, I will not be on social media. They're announcing it to the world as though people are gonna go, oh man, what am I gonna do without this person on social media? I guarantee you, they're not gonna notice. They're not. My posts are not that prolific that somebody's gonna be like, well, my world's gonna shut down because Josh isn't posting on Facebook anymore. Okay, first of all, y'all are like, Facebook, old guy. All right, um, I teach junior high, I'm relevant. I know what I'm talking about. It would be, it, yeah. Mr. Wine's not going to create content on TikTok anymore. Anyway, whatever. I'm not on, just, no, absolutely not. Um, So motivation matters in all of this, okay? It's not just about uh, not eating for a day. It's not just, it it, it could be anything that we hold as an idol, okay? My sons are really good at this right now because we're, we're, man, we're drilling the Ten Commandments at my house right now. It's just where we are in our catechism and like my sons now are kind of starting to scare us a little bit with they, one concept that they really get really well, even as five-year-olds, there's some stuff they're a little shaky on, but there's one thing they're really good at, which is the second commandment, which is that we won't have any idols. And then when we do that, I ask them the follow-up question, and what is an idol? And they go, anything that we love more than God. It's a pretty good definition, right? Problem with that is, is when you're five, and you learn something like that, you suddenly start calling out things in everyone's life around you and asking, but if we're not supposed to have idols, then why do we, why do we care about this so much? <sighs> That's tough, especially when you're five and you're telling it to your parents. It's like, Dad, if we, if we don't believe in idols, why are we doing this? And I was like, God, man, kid, you're getting me here. I, you know, I don't, you know. Here's what's the one thing that really, it's really cool, and then we'll move, we've got to cover fasting for just a quick little, I mean, I'll cover prayer for just a quick little minute here. But one of the things I really enjoyed reading about was some of our favorite people we like reading about here at Lakeview. Brother Al uses lots of quotes from these folks, are the Puritans, people who came here originally uh, to, the, to what would eventually become the United States, and they came here for religious freedom. And a bunch of them wrote some really awesome stuff. One of the best quotes I read about this was that the Puritans who fasted often because they were going through some stuff. They were in a new place. They did not have the support of a government of any kind. It was, it was a scary world that they lived in. They didn't know if they were gonna survive another generation. They fasted a lot because they wanted to have that hunger and thirst for the Lord. The, the Puritans called, they had a slang term for fasting and it was called soul fattening. Think about that for a second, soul fattening. It's funny, this, this person who is writing this paragraph here says, do you want a fatter soul? <laughs> then take seriously this word that Jesus says to us of when you fast. Because when we are giving up other things, we are filling up more with the Lord. Now, with fasting, just gotta give the public service announcement. You need to be safe and careful if you decide to fast, okay? It's not something, it's not something we ever wanna encourage teenagers to do is be like, hey, by the way, you should just not eat for a couple of days. No, there's a way to do that safely. So if that's something that you want to explore, that's something that you need to talk to a trusted adult about. Okay, I just want to say that because I teach junior high and I run across kids all the time who just don't eat and we have to get on to them about it. And we're like, you got to eat some food. And they're like, what? And then, you know, they're like, I'll be fine. And then two hours later, they pass out, okay? We have to do, here, here's the thing. 
we want to be able to do this, but we also want to protect the temple that we have, right? We want to take care of ourselves, yeah? So let's talk about prayer for just a second. I want to make sure I give you some time to talk in your groups. Prayer is something we hear quite a bit about as teenagers, but I'll tell you honestly, it's not something that I don't know whole, uh, too many people in my life, even at a place like Lakeview, that are just really good at the prayer game. I know a couple that are like prayer heroes of mine. But if I'm being honest, I struggle with this a lot. You know why? My house is 100 miles an hour all the time. I work at a junior high where it's a whole new adventure of drama every single day. I run across students in my classroom every single day, and it's the worst day of their life. Y'all know what I'm talking about. My best friend won't talk to me anymore. And then tomorrow they're like, oh, we're best friends again. And I see, like, it doesn't, it, you have to, y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all, everybody in here has that friend who every day is like, it's the worst day. And so it's a really dramatic time. And then I go home and I love being with my family, but they are extra. Like they are, I've got four extra kids, okay? I've got four kids, five and under, including twin five-year-olds who have not closed their mouths since the day they were born, okay? So the idea of a quiet time, what does that mean? Like, what does that look like for us? And that's why we really enjoy talking to like other parents our age, because sometimes we get down and we're like, is this just us? No, it's not. It's just a season of life that we're in. But I have to be intentional, though, in this time, because if my life is crazy and there's people running all over the place and there's like four or five loads of laundry I'm supposed to have done and I didn't do and I've got graduate school homework to do, it's going to be real easy for me to be like, well, I need to do that stuff before I sit down and pray. And really, the opposite is true. So the blame has to fall on us. Like if we're not doing what we're supposed to do with this prayer thing, we have to take responsibility for it. And if we're being honest, most Christians, we're just, we're, just not, we're just not on top of our game with this. Jesus, again, brings up the hypocrite thing. Look at verse five, Matthew chapter six, verse five. We're circling back to this section that we skipped earlier. And when you pray, notice the word when, yet again. And when you pray, not if you pray. You must not be like the hypocrites, as we know. Hypocrites means people putting on a show. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And we've heard this four billion times, right? Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now there's another statement of this prayer in another one of the gospels that adds another line at the end of this, but we're just gonna keep reading. Verse 14. For if you forgive others in their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's got two main issues with prayer. One is he sees the Pharisees and the chief scribes and the priests 
praying out in the open in the town square so that people will notice them. We've seen this story before. They fast in public. They give in public. They pray in public. It's not about God. It's about them. Jesus doesn't like this, okay, because the focus and the priority is all off. He also has an issue, one little paragraph later, with the Gentiles who pray, because there are Gentile believer kind of people going on at the same time, but the Gentiles' problem with prayer is they feel like their prayers will be better heard if they use longer words and longer prayers and more elaborate text. Anybody know somebody like this? You don't have to name them out loud, but you can think about it in your brain. Anybody know somebody who prays and their prayers are super extra? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, Heavenly Father, God, like, you know, like, it's just, it's so, like, long and drawn out. And it's almost as though the person is just trying to fit as many big words into the prayer as possible. Um, I had an older relative that did this, and it was kind of, it was cringeworthy, that's for sure. They had, I think they, their heart was in the right place, but it was just how, much, how many fancy words they could fit into the prayer. Jesus has an issue with this, and here's the reason why. Sometimes we pretend that when we pray, that God doesn't know all this stuff already. We do not need to inform God of all the stuff. He knows. Okay. Now, does that mean that we don't bring our needs and our concerns to God? Absolutely not. Okay. There is power in us going, Father, I am struggling. I don't, my, my time is not being prioritized in the right way, and I need your help. Okay. Should I not say that because God already knows that? That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is we don't have to list out everything under the sun for God in our prayers for them to be effective. One of the best ways I've heard described of how we should approach prayer, I actually read when I was preparing for this talk, and it was we should, prepare, we should approach prayer in two ways. One, we should approach reverently as though a servant speaking to a king. But we should also speak truthfully and simply like a child speaking to a father. If we can do those two things, prayer will always be in the right lane because we recognize who God is and his stature in comparison to us, but we also realize that he is right there listening, that he is not so separate from us the way a king might be from a servant, but that he is intimately interested in what we are trying to talk about and say, especially if we're being honest. But it's interesting to me that Jesus gives us a really awesome template here for a prayer, many times referred to as the Lord's Prayer, right? I know this because I've been around sports ever since I was a kid. I wasn't a very good athlete. My wife laughs about that today. She's like, you didn't play sports. I did. I did play sports. Aaron and I both did, but we don't have any proof to back that up. Um, there weren't any pictures. So, but I remember being around sports teams, and we would do the Lord's Prayer and these sports teams. And I remember thinking like, why this one? What is, what's special about this? Do you notice how short this prayer is? You can say that whole thing in less than 20 seconds. And quite frankly, I don't know if I could write a better one than that. It's pretty solid. It acknowledges who God is. Notice the first half of it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We are acknowledging he's the one in charge. We are placing all of that at his feet. We are recognizing who he is and who we are not. But then look at the second half, second half of it. Give us this day our daily bread. So this is our request to the Lord. And forgive us of our debts, asking for forgiveness for sin. 
Lead us not into temptation. Protect us in the future from future sin. Guys, it's everything. Everything's covered. And this prayer is super short. So does that mean that we can't have long, uh, long quiet time? Absolutely not. I do think we should have some longer quiet times because sometimes we just need to speak and then we need to sit and listen for a little while. That's a really important part of prayer. Sometimes we need to sit and read this stuff. Sometimes we do need to have long talks with the Lord. But what's interesting is that there's, there's differences of opinion about this. Um, it's crucial to understand that at the, in the beginning, this is really hard for some people to grasp, is at the beginning, the Jews would have prayed very similarly to how we see Muslims praying today. There were specific times during the day. Like it talks about apostles going at the hour of prayer to the temple to pray. It was very a part of their schedule. That doesn't seem very spontaneous to me. That seems very ritualistic. Not really. It was just a part of the rhythms of their life. That was what they did. So how reverent are we supposed to, to speak about this? And th- there are some people, there's a, there's a theologian named R.A. Torrey. He says, we should never utter one syllable of prayer, either in public or private, until we are d- definitely conscious that we have come into the presence of God and are actually praying to him. That's deep. That's saying you should, like, I always appreciate when people, like, you know, we're praying in, like, a church service or something, and you hear the person take a moment before they start their pray, prayer. I always appreciate that, because they're taking a moment to go, who am I talking to? They don't just jump right in. I think that's great. But I also think that prayer is something that we should do throughout the day in our daily lives. Martin Luther actually felt the same way as well, big Protestant Reformation guy. Martin Luther said that prayer should be brief, frequent, and intense. That's my style. 100 miles an hour, brief, frequent, intense. I like that. I know I feel that way sometimes when I'm dealing with my sons, who, again, are a joy, but they're five, and they're crazy. Sometimes it's like they're pulling in both directions, and I'm sitting there going, Lord, come on now. Like, I, I need your help here. And that was it. That was the whole prayer. That was, that was, that was it. Brief, fervent, intense. Right? I like that. Brevity of prayer can actually lead to a frequency of prayer. If our prayers are just a couple of sentences long throughout our day, that builds it into the rhythms of our lives. And more frequent prayer might lead to more fervent prayer. And that's what we want. It's of no value to pray for prayer's sake. How far better to pray when you really mean it and when your attention is focused where it should be, which is on God. There's a really, really good verse about this. You don't have to turn there, but if you'd like to, you can. This book is kind of hard to find, which is why I'm telling you you don't necessarily have to go there. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. If you want to know where it is, it's right after the book of Proverbs. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. The the reason it's hard to find is that Ecclesiastes is only like a couple pages long. So you can skip over it real easily, right into the major and minor prophets. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, there's a really good verse on this that backs up what we're talking about here. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. God doesn't need an orator when we're praying to him. He just needs our heart. He just needs honesty and simplicity. I think that was about it. Okay. So 
We have three things here that we talked about this morning. Thanks for listening to me, by the way. If you were bored, you did a great job of hiding it, and I appreciate that. Um, my students do the same thing. It's great. Um, Bella's whole table is staring at her. She's like, it's not me. I, you're, you're great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Bella. I appreciate it. Caleb's in right here. He's, he's all in right here. He's been listening. It's great. Um, so, yeah, Brennan, Brennan's, Brennan knows what I'm talking about, too. Uh, so we have three things we talked about today, okay? We talked about giving to the needy, okay? We talked about fasting. We talked about prayer. All three of these things are applicable to us as young people if we are believers. It does not, it's not something that you cross into as an adult. We need to find ways to give now. We need to find ways to fast now. And we definitely need to find ways to pray now. And we need to do all of these things intentionally. Why are you doing these things? If you're doing it for anyone else to notice that you're doing it, you are going in the complete wrong direction. You are not connecting with God in that moment because he doesn't care about your fame and your glory. We care about his, okay? He wants to bless us. He wants to nurture this relationship, but we have to come to him the right way, okay? We can't stand in the square and go, everybody look at me. We have to go into our secret place, okay? Find a good quiet place to pray. But even if you're praying throughout the day, don't do it in a way that's gonna make everybody go, ooh, okay? If you wanna pray at school, you probably shouldn't like lay out by your desk and be like, hmm, okay? Because at that point, who's it about? It's, not about? it's not about him, it's about you. So think about that. It's one of the things I want you to talk about at your tables for the next several minutes. I give you some time, see? I'm not as, you know, whatever. I go over just like my brother does. Um, but I want you to talk about your tables. There's no specific questions that we have but I just want you to discuss what does this look like where you are? What does this look like in your daily walk? What does this look like as you're going to school, as you're going to work, as you're going to church? And do we have models in our lives of what this looks like? What does your time with the Lord at home look like? Are you doing it in a way that you're not going to get distracted by anything else? I'm addicted to this thing big time. I got to make sure that if I'm going to have time with the Lord, I'm not going to be seeing notifications pop up every five, 10 seconds. Because I'm just going to, I have the attention span of a goldfish. Okay? I'm going to be like, oh, Father, who art in heaven? They liked my picture on Facebook. No, that's, that's really what it's going to be. It's really what it's going to be if I'm not careful. Luckily, I have a wife who's, who loves me enough to be like, you know, elbow. It's, really, it's what I need in my life. I'm glad that she's my helpmate. Okay? So let's pray, and then we're going to have some time around your tables.